0: Hey, this is Antonio Centeno of Real Men Real Style, and you're listening to Veteran on the Move with Joe Crane. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that JOB trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane.
1: Make your holiday purchases more rewarding with the Navy Federal Credit Union Cash Rewards Credit Card, where members earn unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase they make. Visit NavyFederal.org for more details and to apply. All right, today we're talking with Army veteran Paul Hussar from uh, VetCorps. Um, Paul, take us back. Tell us what you did in the Army.
0: Yeah, so I, was, uh, I am a retired Army officer, uh, engineer my last duty assignment, I was a director of training and leader development for the army engineer school. And, you know, army is so great at long titles. I just make it simple and said, you know, really I was the dean of the air force or excuse me, of the army engineer school. And the reason I use that title is because my peer in the air force engineering school, his title was the dean. And we all know the air force is closest to being a civilian because they're (laughs) the youngest service. So that's how I describe it now.
1: Oh, that's funny. Where is the engineering? Where is that at? That school,
0: yeah, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, wow. also affectionately known as Fort Lost in Fort the Woods, Lost Missouri. In the woods.
1: Yeah, I'm from Kansas City, so it's just down the road.
0: <laughs> it's also the largest contingent of Marines not on a military base. <laughs> a little bit of trivia there for you. Yes,
1: it is. The because um, there's the Army runs several schools down there, all of which have Marine Corps MOSs associated with them. So, yep, definitely a lot <laughs> of Marines down there.
0: So, uh, anyway, b- before that, I I, commanded, I had the privilege of commanding a uh, combat airborne engineer battalion out of Fort Bragg. Mm-hmm. It was actually the same battalion I was assigned to as a lieutenant. And in Iraq, it, it, it ballooned up to a joint task force of about 1,000 soldiers and airmen in 09 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to that, I spent a year as a brigade S3 deployed in Iraq in 07 08, during the height of the surge. I was in Iraq as a 05 as a. Um, uh, major on the corps staff, multinational corps staff, and did the typical assignments prior to that, you know, lieutenant captain time. But spent about eleven years of my career at Fort Bragg, jumping out of airplanes, loved every minute of it. And uh, along the way, also as a corps of engineers officer, the army paid for me to get my masters, and I did a stint working for the really the civilian side of the Army Corps of Engineers. Thought I would end up transitioning at something like that. That's what most Army Corps of Engineers officers do. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I spent most of my time on the troop side, the transition was a little bit more challenging for me.
1: Yeah. So can you talk about that? You, you actually had a little bit of a luxury of retiring, um, which uh, comes with its own, own set of circumstances. Also, typically you're retiring, you tend to be older. So it might be harder to unlearn everything you learned as a soldier if you have to do that to uh, fit into the civilian society. So talk about what your transition as a retiring soldier was like in going into the civilian sector and how maybe you didn't yeah. like kind of like you alluded to, didn't fit into certain circles.
0: So all my mentors for the most part were retired senior engineer officers. And the advice they gave me is really, there's just kind of two courses of action. You can try and um, pursue the opportunity that takes you, that that's the best opportunity available and wherever that goes, wherever that takes you, you go and you follow that or you can pick quality of life and decide what's important to you kind of holistically go wherever that takes you and then look for an opportunity at that location. And so I had done a, a one year on a company short tour in Korea, followed by three pretty close, almost back to back deployments to Iraq. So four out of seven years away from my family. And I said, I think I'll take quality of life. <laughs> and so we had decided on, Southeast United States first, and then we decided Florida. We had family here in Florida, and then we really narrowed it down to Tampa. We picked Quality of Life for the first time in my life. We established all our criteria, you know, created a decision matrix like I learned how to do as a young staff officer, and all of the important things for the first time in my life we could find. We wanted a great public school for our kids entering high school. We wanted to be close to major military installation if we could. Great airport, major market where I could find a job. Um, kids were in big into travel, soccer, all those things. And so we just took a leap of faith and we picked Tampa. And really based in the school district, the city is very favorable to veterans, those types of things. And I said, yeah, I won't, I won't have a problem finding a job. I'm a former battalion commander, licensed professional engineer, um, no problem. And then there was problems.
1: <laughs> yeah, so how'd that go? What um, what were these uh, unexpected problems that you ran into?
0: So when I was transitioning from Fort Leonard Wood, I started applying to positions. The first position I applied for was uh, to be a project manager at Walt Disney because who doesn't want to work at the happiest place on earth, right. particularly in retirement. Right. And at one point in time, I was batting 0 for 40, 40 jobs that I applied for. I kept track of them on a spreadsheet. I thought the internet was going to make it easier. So I just, applied for these jobs. I was clearly um, qualified for them. And not only did I not get accepted into any of them, I didn't get any feedback whatsoever on them. Mm. And that was my uh, first taste of what transition looked and felt like. And so then we got to Florida and, you know, I started making connections with the community around here. Some of my contacts, like, Contacted. I'm a West Point grad, so I talked to the local West Point Society, uh, had some contacts through Society of American Military Engineers, American Society of Civil Engineers, and I just started networking Mm -hmm. and just meeting people. And uh, through that, I I had a couple of opportunities that culturally weren't going to be the right fit that I passed on, Um, but really only two opportunities in about six months. I started getting really frustrated. And so I just kept networking, networking, and through this crazy series of networking events, um, I landed in the position that I'm in. And, and
1: talk a little bit about networking. Meaning, you, you were you were just involved in networking, not really knowing how it was going to turn out or who you were going to run into. And you talk about this crazy series of events. That's really that's really the crux of how networking works. Like a lot of military guys ap- approach networking from. I'm going to go meet this guy who knows that guy and that's the guy I want to get a job from. You already know that ahead of time. Well, that's not, that's not networking networking. It's kind of like this blind faith process that you have to let work out until you've seen it come full circle. A few times, a lot of veterans tend not to trust that or put much stock in it. Um, networking in the military is one thing, but networking for civilian jobs and others. Can you, can you shed some light on what your that networking experience is what it was like?
0: Yeah. And, you know, like you, I try and help fellow veterans now. And I I explain it to them this way. If you look at my experience in that for 40 job application process, right. And you just say that hypothetically, each one of those applications, uploading your resume, researching, et cetera, let's say it just took an hour. Right. Mm -hmm. And I I did that 40 times. That's 40 hours. That's a work week. If that's a full time work week, where not only did I not achieve any results, I got no feedback to know what I was doing right, what I was doing wrong, et cetera. Now imagine if you took that same 40 hours and you just met with people for a cup of coffee, beer after work, something like that, and you met with 40 people and just explained who you are, learned about them, and you were just interested in forming a relationship, not interested in a particular transaction. And what I tell people now is, That time is so much better spent because now you make an impression with them. They explain who you are. Typically, you know, they may or may not get your resume in advance or whatever, but you you can avoid some of the challenges with, you know, translating your resume. They see you as a person. And as long as you make a favorable impression, they generally want to try and help. Particularly as a veteran, people want to help veterans in general. They just don't understand this. So, you know, something like ninety-four percent of the population aren't veterans, have never served. So there's a gap in their understanding of us. So you meet with somebody over an hour uh, for coffee, and you can explain that to them, and then they become your advocates, and then they're advocating for you. They also become sensors. Imagine you, you know, place forty battlefield sensors out there. Mm-hmm. They're looking seeing smelling opportunities for you and you're on top of mind because you just met with them. And now you, you know, they tell two friends and so on and so on. And that's how it works. I tell other veterans said, look, don't apply for a single job until you're told to apply for it. And if you use your, your networking, then you get make some connections and you start talking to people. And then when you do that, you avoid all the BS with, getting your resume screened out of the system or by some person who's in HR that doesn't understand what your qualifications are, what your resume means, all that kind of stuff. And it's just so powerful. And now since, you know, I've talked to people, they come back and they give me feedback and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's counterintuitive, but it's so accurate because as veterans, you know, we, we think of terms of processes, right? I need a job there's a job opening. I apply for the job. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. The reality is that's not how it works.
1: Yeah. That almost makes you wonder why so many companies even have these electronic portals to receive all that information, because you have to wonder if they, if they, how many people they hire through those portals. Cause it seems like I've, I, you rarely run across anybody that has great experiences with, these digital ways of applying for jobs. I mean, I know that all these Indeed and ZipRecruiter and everything else that's out there. It must be something happening, but or maybe it's only certain kinds of jobs, or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I've interesting. Yeah, um, a few years ago, I actually interviewed a gal. Um, she's from Kansas City area. She uh, um, she actually wrote a book called Coffee Lunch Coffee. All she did every day was schedule coffee with somebody in the morning, possibly lunch with someone and then coffee with someone else in the afternoon with no agenda. She just deliberately said, I need to, I want to meet with you. And she wrote a book about it. And it was, she said the, the expansion of her network and opportunity that occurred just by doing that was really unbelievable for her. So, um, that's, you know, that's what networking is all about. Networking is intentionally meeting people all the time without having any idea or any agenda as to what may come of it. Right. Um,
0: no ulterior motives, right? And it's right. amazing. What happens when you expand your social network mm-hmm. and you're a good person, you're a good human being, people want to help other people. And that's what happens And magic happens. You don't know where it's coming from. I tell people take the leap of faith. It's going to happen. Um, and, and in the end, when it, even if it doesn't happen the first or second or third time, you have the benefit. You at least get a benefit of meeting someone else new and, um, and you expand your social network. And before you know it, it does happen, but it's time and effort much better spent.
1: Yeah. Well, Hey Paul, hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back for over 30 years as a Navy federal member. I've been through just about every military and life event deployments, home loans, car loans, credit cards, unexpected financial events. And I can say that Navy federal gets the military at Navy federal members of the mission, make your holiday purchases more rewarding with the Navy federal credit union cash rewards credit card where members earn unlimited one and a half percent cash back on every purchase they make. Your rewards won't expire while your account is open. And best of all, you can redeem them online or with the mobile app as soon as they're earned. Plus cash rewards card is contactless, meaning you can make payments quickly and securely with just the tap of your card. At Navy Federal, members of the mission. Visit NavyFederal.org for more details and to apply. Open to the armed forces, DOD, veterans, and their families. Message and data rates may apply. Insured by NCUA. Right now, we're all full-time workers, chefs, housekeepers, teachers, and babysitters in our own homes. Your mental health and well-being plays a critical role in showing up as your best self for others. Talkspace is making therapy affordable and accessible for all. Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more. No matter what, Talkspace will find you the right therapist to help you achieve your goals. Talkspace is a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy. Instead of waiting around for an appointment, you can send unlimited messages to your therapist 24-7, and they'll engage with you daily, five days a week. And now, Talkspace covers 40 million people for online therapy through their insurance or employer. Find out if you're eligible at Talkspace.com slash insurance. Talking to friends is so different from talking to a licensed therapist who has the expertise and knowledge to give practical guidance. Talkspace gives us the support we need at an affordable price. As a listener of this podcast, you get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure to use the code VETERAN to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com, code VETERAN. All right, back talking with Army Veteran Paul Hussar um, with VetCorps. So, Paul, we've talked extensively about networking, and um, you were going to share with us th- that actual experience you had where they ended up in a really good job uh, through, through basically a networking, an extensive networking experience.
0: Yeah, so it started on the sidelines of my daughter's soccer game, club soccer game. <laughs> I'm sitting there with a, a, another guy, another dad. We both had an interest in soccer. We both played soccer and coached soccer and uh, had developed a friendship. And he says, dude, aren't you a civil engineer? I said, yeah, absolutely. He said, well, he was a lawyer, but mostly involved in real estate development now. And he says, I know a ton of engineering companies in the area. You know, why don't I connect you with them? And so I'm like, yeah, what are you been waiting for, buddy? Come on, help me out. So he connects me with a guy who's a principal at a local civil engineering firm. Um, I send him my resume. He agrees to have coffee with me. We sit down. Great guy. And he said, wow, I just I didn't understand the scope of what you did, everything from your resume, and now I do. He goes, you know, unfortunately, we don't have a position for someone like you in our firm, but, you know, let, let me try and help and see who I can connect you with. And uh, so that night, he sends my resume to his female partners, uh, partner in the firm, um, over to her. She ha- is married to a former Naval Construction Regiment guy, 03 Lieutenant, um, <laughs> formerly on active duty. That guy worked for a forensics engineering company called SDII, Subsurface Detection Investigation Incorporated, he calls me the next day. says, hey, sir, how you doing? You know, I saw your resume. I worked for this really cool forensics engineering company. We just got a new CEO. He used to be an army officer, uh, five years in, in, in the army, then commanded the Tampa St. Pete MEP station. And now he, he spent the last 25 years in the insurance industry. My forensics engineering company just hired him to be the CEO of our company because uh, we, our primary clients are insurance companies. Carriers, insurance companies in Florida, and I think I think he'd love to meet you, and you know maybe have an opportunity. Would you mind if I forward your resume to him? I said nope, please do. That guy immediately calls me. His name's David Howard. David um, was the first CEO uh, or C-suite level guy that had any type of army experience that I actually got to meet and talk with. Hmm. So he calls me in for an interview right away. He explains to me this company had made like $50 million revenue company doing sinkhole cause and origin loss investigations for insurance carriers, but their revenue was waning significantly because of some legislation in Florida. And he got hired to kind of reinvent that company. He was looking for other ways to vertically integrate service offerings to these insurance carrier clients. And so he explains all this to me. And I thought I was interviewing for an engineering management position. Uh, literally, this was about a week after Veterans Day in 2013. And in part of the discussion, he says, yeah, so we, we launched this company, the Water Damage Mitigation Company, um, because it turns out 60% of homeowners' insurance claims are related to water damage. Oh. And I figured we're going to we're gonna call it VetCore." because it's gonna be the differentiator. You know, imagine veterans who are technicians that show up on time. You know, no time windows, on time. Mm-hmm. They're fit, polite, in uniform, treat people with dignity and respect. And I said, wow, interesting concept. And uh, so the interview goes really well. <laughs> and a day later he calls me up and he says, hey, I'd like you to be the president of Vet Corps and, <laughs> and start it. So all they had done was file the articles of incorporation and and he asked me in the interview more about manning training equipping organizational leadership organizational management and he thought that i had the you know the right stuff they needed so i was the president but the first employee so that was uh, i started on december 9th 2013 and then set out to do the manning training equipping kind of take a concept which was marginally related to engineering and construction that I had done most of my military career. Um, But the manning, training, equipping stuff was stuff that I've done in every assignment. And of course, we're wired like military. So the first thing I looked for was a right-hand man. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hired a really dear friend of mine who was a retired Army Sergeant Major. Because if you ever want to start a company from scratch, hire a Sergeant Major. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Right. Yeah. So they know,
1: like, basically we're starting this company and we want you to do it. Oh, and we're, and we're going to pay you a salary while you're doing it. I mean, it's basically like being dropped into an entrepreneurial opportunity, but with a paycheck.
0: Yeah. And I understood kind of the, the business environment. I understood what was supposed to happen. Um, David had a background in insurance, 25 years in the industry he had been the CEO of an insurance company in Florida, so he opened the doors, would make the connections. I would get the meetings with these insurance execs because through David's um, relationship. But you know, at the time I was running a six-man insurance company as a licensed professional engineer, former battalion commander, West Point grad, and so I get the meeting, and we tell them what we were what we were wanting to do, and they they understood the concept of veteran technicians, and and it was an industry that was really Struggling with integrity challenges, etc., and because their claims dollars were going out the door, sixty percent of them to water damage, they were looking to try and save money in that and also help their customers solve these problems. So we've got the opportunities, and from there, um, Scott Walden, my now he is my chief operating officer at the time. You know, call him the director of operations. Um, he was our first project manager, so you know, typical sergeant major kind of guy, willing to get hands-on, lead by example, but also become a technical expert. He went through all the training in the industry to become a, a master restorer, which he is now. And then we started growing. Um, long story short, we, we, we added, I think, six insurance carrier clients that first summer. Um, I had another crazy opportunity to buy the company and become the owner. David had a business partner, he was. He needed to get out of the business. He he had some other challenges going on. Mm-hmm. So David kind of brokered the deal as a buyer and a seller, and I became the majority owner. I bought half of his share and all of his partner share out. Allowed me to register the business as a service disabled around small business. David and I invested in the company. Opened a second office, oh, wow. and a year later opened the third office and. Now we're franchising.
1: That's awesome. So Vetcore, the basic concept where the rubber meets the road of Vetcore is it's a, basically kind of on the franchise model at this point, small businesses that you put veterans in charge of and they have a veteran team show up to somebody's house when there's been a bunch of water damage and they clean up the mess.
0: Yeah. So we do water damage, mold remediation, fire damage, temporary roof tarping, Cleaning, um, some other related services. We subcontract for tree removal, so uh, biotrauma crime scene cleanup. Just about anything that is a covered loss from insurance companies. And now we're to the point where we're a preferred vendor for over sixty insurance companies in Florida. About ten of those are national carriers, mostly through the relationships that David had, and then introducing us. And then Scott and I, all we did was you know performed and tracked our performance. We checked our customer service. We had a we survey monkey customer service surveys. We tracked our average cost per claim. And so we're not selling a veteran-owned business, but because we're veteran-owned and not veteran-operated, our technicians show up on time. Uh, actually, on time is late and early is on time. People understand that. <laughs> you yeah. don't give time windows like most other service providers. Mm-hmm. Our project managers now in our offices are, for the most part, retired non-commissioned officers who, who can make a small group of young men and women hum because they know how to do operational planning yep. and they know how to execute the standard. And so this business model is taken off. The insurance companies love it. And so we opened our third office in December 15 in, in southeast Florida. The second office is a Gulf Coast, and then our office in Tampa covered greater Tampa Bay area. And it, a little over a year ago, after we spent about two years studying franchising, um, we, we started franchising. Our policy with Vet Corps is we hire veterans and those who share similar values. And so all of our employees, except um two, are veterans. The two that aren't are are um spouses of military veterans. You and, know,
1: Paul, um what what comes to mind with me is the the beauty of this business model is if you start a vet core franchise, if that's what you're calling it, you're not really you're not really having to go out and collect business because you've already got agreements with insurance companies that are going to start funneling business to you. So yeah. how mu- how realistic is it? How much time are they spent beating the bushes trying to trying to find customers versus how how much are they just answering the phone from the insurance companies when things happen?
0: Yeah, so we do, you know, now we do training phase 1 and phase 2 training for our franchisees. Um, And so we want them to develop local contacts, insurance agents, realtors, property Mm -hmm. managers, et cetera. But because of our reputation and and we we go directly with insurance carriers and what's called TPAs, third party administrators, because we've had such a great tracker record with them and replicated that success two times with our organic offices and now with our franchisees. And we're so selective in awarding franchises, not selling them awarding them based on opportunities, and we have some just phenomenally um, qualified franchisees. When we tried this concept out with the insurance carriers and the TPAs, uh, it was a sales job, but I like to tell stories and not sell. And so what I said to them is, look, well, considering franchising, what do you think about this? And they said, look, you've already proven that you can replicate this model. And, and so we would be supportive of that. I said, good, because what I understand franchising, after we had spent about two years studying it, is the essence of franchising is training, standardizing, and replicating. So I I run two businesses now. I own a restoration company with three offices and a franchising company. And the franchising is all about training, standardizing, and replicating. So when I would have this discussion with executives and the insurance companies and the TPAs, say, yeah. you know, any institutions that are particularly good at training, standardizing and replicating (laughs) like the U S military does.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm going back to my own personal experience when we had a sump pump issue and the basement carpet got totally soaked. Um, The process was I first called the insurance company first. I didn't call a restoration company off of Google. I called the insurance company and they told me, who to call or they even may have even called them for me. I'm not even sure. So the restoration company just showed up. So that's an example of really it's not the homeowner that calls the restoration company. It's the insurance company that assigns the restoration company. So from a, from a business perspective, if you, if you own the restoration company, all your business is coming from the insurance companies, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's, you got to have that local top of mind, you know, community type atmosphere and presence out there. But, Um, you're not actually, uh, you know, out there knocking on doors, trying to get business like that. You know, it's, this is huge. You know, already have a built in, pretty much a built in revenue stream once you're up and running. So
0: typically the, the, in your case, you, the insured customer always has the right to choose who they want to use, Mm -hmm. but almost every time, they have no experience in this. Yeah. And so they, they trust their insurance carrier. Right. The insurance carrier has already taken us through the vetting process, the exactly. credentialing process, and there's a threshold that you have to maintain of you know, good business at practices, level of insurance, all that kind of training, certifications, et cetera. So we recognize that, we've met those qualifications, And really now it costs us zero in sales other than the the business-to-business meetings that we had that that gave us those opportunities. And then we hit it out of the park and just, you know, tracked our performance and then would show them our performance. And that got us more clients and and customers. And so it's a great model with respect to that. And the other thing then for veterans is we're not really good. There's no uh, military occupational specialty for marketing, Mm -hmm. you know. And what we are good at, though, is training, standardizing, replicating on the franchising side, and operating and executing. So what this does is allows the franchisees now, or veterans, to come take an SOP and execute it. And now what we've also done is, given our model, we do all of the the quality assurance, the training, the estimating. So they go out, they take photos, we teach them how to do it, they do a scope sheet. Scott and I, our, our COOs like to say, you know, it's science, but it's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's the essence of this business model because there isn't any credential, any license requirement. Like there is to be a plumber or carpenter or electrician, True, yeah. but there is a national training certification you can get from a three day course and it's good anywhere in the U S mm. it's a great fit for vets.
1: Yeah. So can we talk about the details of, of the actual franchising, um, I know a lot of good stories about franchising. I know a lot of bad stories. Guys have had bad experiences with franchising. Usually, the really big food-oriented franchises. Um, I've heard some horror stories there, but actually, they usually started off really good, and then corporate changes at the higher levels changed everything. And then, you know, so anyways, um, can you go through the details of what a franchise costs and how somebody would be able to get their own Vetcor franchise?
0: Sure. So, you know, like I said, we're in the business of awarding, not selling franchises. So, I and mean, our strategy is to try and round out Florida first, but we've actually already have one in, in Georgia and one in Texas, and we're willing to go. We're willing to follow talent because of those sixty insurance carriers. We have about ten who are national carriers as well. So, we are prepared to go in other states. Um, we're just not marketing to them, but through our social media presence, people have found us, and and if we have the right person who's interested, right background, et cetera, we'll go there. Um, Franchising in its essence is the ability, the rights to use intellectual property, the processes, all that kind of stuff, Our clients, both in terms of the clients who we have the opportunity to earn revenue from, but also partners who have relationships, for example, enterprise fleet management, where we get all of our vehicles, insurance, all that kind of vendors that sell um, all the equipment, cleaning equipment, drying equipment, dehumidifiers, all that stuff, and so its ability to use our trademarks, our processes, in a specific geographical area, and that's usually known as a franchise territory. Um, franchising usually comes with a franchise fee upfront and a royalty ongoing royalty fee. Our franchise fee is 45,000 or $10,000 discount, 35,000 for a veteran or an immediate family member. That's the lowest franchise fee in the restoration industry for franchising. And it's intentionally so because we wanted to keep the, the barrier to entry low to allow veterans to get into business. And our royalties are 7%. That's, for the most part, industry standard seven percent of gross revenue. Um, the all-in cost, it, you know, we'll, and it's all this is outlined in the documents called the franchise dis- um, um, me, the FDD, the franchise disclosure document. The method of actually acquiring that is called the franchise agreement, which is a subset of the FDD, and all that we have to disclose all that, and it's about I'll say about one hundred fifty thousand dollars. You don't have to have that $150,000. You can get an SBA loan. We connect them with industry partners that can help fund that. And that covers the franchise fee. You can lease or buy equipment. So there's kind of menu options there. We recommend leasing equipment because when you lease equipment, for example, like vehicles through enterprise fleet management, it's like having your own battalion motor officer. (laughs) They take care of the disposal when it's time to trade it in. Mm -hmm. They take care of the maintenance plans. you You can get a fuel card with them that kind of stuff. And it it makes it it, one less person you have to have permanently on staff to handle all that stuff. They do it for you. They're great partners. By the way, Enterprise named after the USS Enterprise is (laughs) their veteran owned company.
1: Didn't know that. That's cool.
0: Yeah. Same thing with all the So with that initial investment, you have to buy your equipment or lease, buy or lease your vehicles, um, your initial hand tools, supplies, that kind of stuff. We want you to have at least three months operating capital on hand. So the you know, most businesses fail because they're undercapitalized. And so we want to make sure that our businesses understand, while and it's not it's not uncommon that on the f- the first day of opening our businesses get jobs because of that referral network. Typically you're not getting paid from a cash flow perspective 30 to 45 days later because of the time it takes to process the claim through insurance companies. You're gonna get paid reliably. But then you have to make sure you have the operating capital in the bank to make sure you cover that. And once that happens, then then you start getting on the path to growth.
1: And I know you're probably restricted from making promises or anything like that. But I really, it, whatever numbers you could share with us would be very helpful. So, are you allowed to share what uh, you know? What the min, the max, the 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 typical average uh, for one vet core? uh, franchise location. I know it depends on the population and everything else, but yeah. what, what, you know, somebody coming out of the military who might be interested in doing something like this. What, what kind of numbers are they looking at?
0: Yeah. So through the franchise industry, you're only allowed to share what is in the franchise disclosure document mm-hmm. because we're so young. All we've done because we didn't, we've our franchises, our first franchise is going to be, is going to turn one year old here in another few weeks. Mm-hmm. So we have no disclosures other than our our vet core numbers, and I'm happy to share those. It, it's a little bit skewed, though, so you can't like just take these numbers and divide by three because <laughs> our territories were much larger. It was intentionally larger so we could capture market share. Mm-hmm. So our our gross revenue and. 2014, we started operations in, in April of that year, we earned $192,000. So that was a big deal. Uh, the next year we opened a second franchise, $900,000 revenue. The next year we opened our third, um, office 1.9 million. The next year, 3.2 million. The next year, 3.7 million. Now keep in mind, we also had hurricanes those years, yeah. which we, not necessarily an anomaly, but a, a huge revenue boost for us. Right. And then, um, last year, 2.2 million without a hurricane. And, and now we're on path. Cause of, unfortunately the hurricanes hit the Gulf coast, we've deployed assets, our franchisees up there to temporary roof tarping and stuff. And so we're on for another banner year. So I can, I can disclose those because that's what's in our sure. franchise disclosure document. And after this year, when our first franchisee becomes one year old, what we can do is, is disclose unit financials for them. You're just not allowed to make false revenue projections or sure. promises as part of the just federal disclosure laws. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, but it gives a good example, a good idea. I mean, the revenue potential is definitely there. Um, and, and I mean, there's natural disasters going on all over there. You don't have to live on the Gulf coast or the, or the East coast of Florida to be no, right. dealing with issues.
0: The interesting thing is most of our revenue, most of our business is dishwashers, ice makers, hot water heaters, air conditioning units, roof leaks that break at a relatively predictable rate. Every day the <laughs> phone rings. You just don't know what it's going to be that day. And then on top of that, when you get a hurricane, it literally and figuratively becomes a rainmaker. And and when you know, you're prepared to respond and all our franchisees and we are because of that's how we're wired and operated, for contingency plans, right. We're able to take advantage of that and really outkick our coverage. Wow.
1: Um, we're getting close to the end of our, our time, Paul. Um, if, if, if you could share with us, um, you shared your personal story, but from being on the, now you're on the employer uh, side, what, looking at veterans coming out of the military, coming to you, possible vet core tr- franchisees, what kind of things are you looking for that veterans typically have or don't have as far as the potential to go into doing their own vet core, uh, franchise franchisee operator.
0: Yeah. So a couple things, I mean, most veteran advocates talk about, you know, their values, their work ethic, their team players. I, I agree with all that. I don't talk about it because I don't think anybody hires based on those values. I think they'll fire you based on the lack of those values. So I talk about things like they're lifelong learners They're used to moving, changing jobs, and and changing physical locations every three to four years. Mm -hmm. So they're constantly doing after-action reviews, recipes for success. What happened? Why did it happen? How we can improve? They come with things like the military decision-making process, troop-leading procedures. They know that there are five components to a mission statement, who, what, where, when, why. So they have all these processes that are really good and really apply to business. They They just don't necessarily know how to apply them. The things that they don't know, and, and frankly, they're my lessons learned in this business, the two hardest things about business, in my opinion, is the marketing, getting the business in the door. So whether you're making widgets or you're servicing widgets, that's relatively easy compared to finding and getting the market. And so that took a while, and because of our unique situation where You know, my business partner had a relationship in the insurance industry that opened the doors for us. Now we take advantage of that brand and our franchisees have the ability to do that as well. So it makes the marketing piece much easier. The other piece is finance. We never really had to manage cash flow. And, you know, Uncle Sam paid us. Um, We thought we were in resource constrained environments. and, And many of us were, you know, during in the military service. But it's much different when. If you don't make payroll, your, your, your guys aren't getting paid for the first year in business. I didn't take a salary. Um, the good news is none of my franchisees have to experience that because we've built the business up and, and so they can take advantage of that. But we, we oftentimes just don't understand how that cash flow cycle works. You get a job today and you execute, knock it out of the park. You're not getting paid for 30 to 45 days from now. Mm -hmm. Well, the better you do, the more jobs you get, the more money you have to expend up front. And so success can put you out of business because of cash flow. Hmm. And so now it's one of the things it's, it's really the two things I focus on in our franchisee training. Yeah. So you can inherit this business model and then learn from our lessons.
1: That's great. Yeah. Great advice. So um, we're, we're about out of time. Um, if somebody was interested in starting their own vet core uh, restoration type business. I so was a franchisee. What kind of advice would you have for them and how do they find Vetcor and get started?
0: Yeah, c- connect with us. Any social media platform is fine. Paul Hussar, H U S Z A R, LinkedIn, Facebook, et cetera, or our website, www.vetcor, V E T C O R services.com or vetcorfranchising.com. Both of those have links, and you just fill out a little bit of information. It goes to our VP of Franchise Development, who is a former Army officer, uh Cav squadron-type guy, and uh, spent 20 years in a sales career. And so now he is part of the team. Mike Long or I will connect with you and happy to have that discussion, even if it doesn't lead to anything, um, because what we want to do is help vets. And for us, you got to be in the sweet spot where it's, you know, it's a great, perfect fit for you. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, you know, maybe we'll help you talk about franchising or another business opportunity because that's what our passion is, is helping vets. And if awesome. it is, great, it's win-win.
1: All right, great. That's awesome, Paul. I appreciate it. Um, sounds like a great opportunity. I mean, I could I could think of 100, 100 guys I knew in, in the Marine Corps that'd be perfect for this opportunity. So hopefully, uh, hopefully somebody's listening out there and uh, can uh, connect with you and get started on running their own business.
0: Well, thanks so much, Joe. And more importantly, thanks for what you're doing. It's folks like us who have the passion to help veterans and continue to pay it forward that really help ease the transition of, you know, the next, the next folks coming out who are frankly our former teammates and, and we give a shit about them. Yeah. So thanks for you doing what you're doing.
1: You bet. Glad to be a part of it. All right. Thanks, Paul. These two veterans or Oscar Mike?